0: Good day everyone. I am your host Matt Coner and this is the Chasing Goodness podcast where we just talk about how our faith can lead us to do good things in this world. We hear that from hearing stories from people and we also hear that from looking at Bible stories and just from <laughs> just chatting it up on this podcast. So today we're going to do a little bit of that. So we're just going to chat it up. I've got some thoughts, I got some ideas I want to get them out to you and And I don't want to beat around the bush, so let's get going. So I live in Wisconsin, and this last week we had some really nice weather. That happens in Wisconsin. When we start to get to the end of February, March, what happens is we'll still have some of that cold weather. But then every once in a while we just get like this day or two of epic weather and by epic weather i mean in the winter if it hits 40 and it's sunny that feels so amazing especially in the context of maybe it was 20 below 0 the day before and so my wife susie and i we saw we you know when this is happening i look at the i look at the weather every single day because especially in the winter because i'm just waiting for that trend of things starting to get warmer to happen again especially when we get to the end of february beginning of march i think everybody's just looking at that weather like that 10-day forecast just wondering is there going to be a bump up in temperature are we going to get there so i saw this day coming i think we all did there was just a string of just regular old winter temperatures and then like out of the blue there was this one day where it was going to be near 50 degrees and to make it all better it was on a weekend so it's like circle that date in big red marker and get ready for it and make plans for it and when it's nice out, all I want to do is be outside for the entire day. I like when it when it gets warm out in Wisconsin. Like just live outside. So this day was coming, and so we were all getting ready for it, and. Susie and I, we have some plans for, we live on four acres. We live out in the middle of the country. We live on four acres and we have some plans for our property. We have some dreams of things that we want to do. And again, working outside in the winter is not really that plausible. And so we saw this day and the first thought that came to our minds was, well, what can we do? What's one step we can do that, number one, will allow us to be outside on this near 50 degree day in February? And number two, what's something that we can do that's going to move us toward where we see ourselves going? And so what we did for the entire day and sitting here like three days later, I think I'm still sore and tired from it, (laughs) but the whole day we, we cut down trees, we cleared brush and we cleaned out our little barn that we have. We did that for hours upon hours. We didn't stop to take any breaks. We were just so excited about being outside. And then finally our bodies collapsed and we just sat on the porch and grilled out and had a nice evening. But it all started with clearing the brush, cutting down some trees, and cleaning the barn. Now, I'm going to come back to that story in a little bit and tell you exactly why we were doing it. But to get there, I have to back up quite a bit. I used to do a lot of work in church context, as I know a lot of you that listen to this podcast used to as well. So my wife and I used to work in church circles for years and years, almost two decades. And I'll never forget... There was this one reality that, and if you worked in a church, this is going to make a lot of sense to you. You've probably even read the book. But there was this this one thing that we would talk a fair amount about, and that was what was called the 80-20 rule. One of the things in a church setting, in order for you to function properly, in order for you to have any sort of success, you need tons and tons of buy-in and tons and tons of volunteers. It's really the only way that it works effectively. But there's this rule that we all talked about, which was called the 80-20 rule. And what it meant is that 80% of the work was done by 20% of the people. Meaning that the vast majority of the people that came, 80% of the people that actually came to the community were not bought in enough to actually volunteer or do any of the work. And then there was this other 20% that were so bought in that they were willing to basically do almost all of the work and we always would struggle with this like how do we change that how do i mean imagine what it would do to change your community if you could just get to 60/40 or 50/50 50, 50 would be crazy right and so we'd talk over and over again about how to overcome this 80/20 rule and how to get that number higher that number of engagement that number of volunteers at a, at a larger level and we always and I'm, I'm the one saying this, so I will just admit that I was as guilty as anybody. We always reverted to questioning the motives or the hearts of those people that weren't engaging. It was always more like, how do we, how do we help encourage people to be more godly or more Jesus-like by volunteering at their church, as if that was some sort of litmus test for their faith. Which, when I say it now, oh, so much to apologize for. It's unbelievable. But thinking back on it now, I can't remember a single time when we ever considered maybe the system's the problem, not the people. Maybe it's actually the way that we do things that is a problem as opposed to the people. Within the context of church settings making a difference or volunteering or getting involved. I mean, there was only so many options that you had, right? You could go like super low level and be a greeter. If you liked kids or if you had kids in the nursery, then you could be a nursery volunteer. If you had any musical talent, you could get on the worship team. If you liked teenagers or had teenagers, you could be a part of, you know, there was just a handful of things you could do. It wasn't like there was this endless list of things that you can do. But if we take away, let's take away the walls of the church or the boundaries that the church had, which basically were how do we get this thing to run within this certain context. If we take all those boundaries away and we think about how to bring our faith into this world minus the boundaries of the church, well, then suddenly the options are limitless. And I'm not hinting or even questioning anybody's desire to volunteer at their faith community or their church community. By all means, do that. But if you're the type of person That is in that setting. For me, the church setting worked swimmingly. It was perfect because I'm a musician and I'm a gifted speaker. And so those are two things that are really widely available in a church context. So it worked really well for me to get involved in a church setting. But for a lot of people, it doesn't. So if you're one of those people, maybe you are going to church and maybe you're just frustrated that there's not a lot of options that seem meaningful to you, things that you feel like, oh, if I did that, that would just. That would make me come alive and I'd really feel like I was making a difference. Well, if you take those boundaries out of the picture and you're no longer worried about just what you can do in a church context or a faith community context, well, then the options are limitless. For some of you, this is exciting because you know, you, you're like me and you see the option for change and you see the option for something new. I mean, I'm an Enneagram seven, kind of a go-getter. I I love change. And so when I see like unlimited options, it's really exciting for me, but for others, it's super suffocating because you look at that and you think if there's unlimited options, how will I ever decide what it could possibly do that I could, that I personally could do that would make any sort of difference in this world? I can, it's like this. It's like this. Do you ever go out to a restaurant and, and I won't, I'm not going <laughs> to, I'm not going to generalize any restaurants, but there's definitely certain ones in my mind. You go to a restaurant and they give you a menu and it like folds out into four sections front and back. And there is just piles and piles of different options that you have. And you just sit there and you You stare at it with these big eyes because probably like a quarter to a third of it sounds good. So how are you going to decide on one thing off of that huge menu that you're going to get? It's almost overwhelming sometimes, right? And then eventually you'd like just throw in the towel and like close your eyes and point. But then there's other restaurants that you go to and you go and there's maybe four or five items on the menu. And at first, maybe you step back and you're like, oh, boy, that's too bad. There's not much to pick from. But then how easy is that choice, right? Because likely one or two of those five items sound better than the other one. So the choice is really easy as opposed to having Fifty choices and trying to limit that down so some of you are like me you see that menu full of a gazillion different things and you are pumped because you know there's an option to try something you've never tried before for others of you you like just that small menu or that place you go to every single week where everything's predictable and you kind of know how it works right and so when we take this into the context of trying to make a difference in this world we're coming at it from different spaces. So I'm hoping that what I can offer today is something that will make sense to everyone. But the person that I'm really speaking to today is is the person that I run into a lot, which is the person that sees that there's needs in the world, wants to be a part of the solution, in many cases, desire their faith to lead us in the direction that they go, but really struggles to understand how to get there. So the first place we can look at, and this is just a a good rule of thumb, like if you're trying to figure something out, why not go to Jesus to just figure out if he had anything to say about it or if he did anything about it. Now, when we look at his life, when we look at Jesus' life, when someone was interested in what Jesus was doing, and if they wanted to be a part of it, his request was very simple. And I'm sure you're ahead of me on this, but his request was simply, follow me. So he didn't get specific. He didn't lay out a plan of saying, oh, well, since you're a fisherman, I could see you doing this, or since you're a carpenter, I could see you doing this, or since you're a tax collector, I could see you helping out the ministry in this way. Not at all. There was zero of that conversation. You, do you understand what I'm saying? So many times when we get into the context of, again, faith circles, church circles, community circles, circles. Some of the first questions that are coming up are like, Well, what are you good at? What are you gifted at? And those are important questions to ask. Absolutely. It's really important to identify that and realize it. But it shouldn't be the first question we're asking. The first request should be just like Jesus, where He just said, Okay, well, Well, follow me, like make a movement, make a movement toward where you want to go. They were interested in what Jesus was doing. They wanted to be a part of it. So Jesus said, well, you know, take a step forward, you know, just follow me, start walking with me. I mean, just hanging out with me and trust that everything is going to pan out and you'll figure it out as you go. And we live in a world that that figure it out as you go thing isn't rewarded too often. But I really think that's key when we're talking about how to make impact in this world. Now, many, like the disciples, took them up on the offer and figured it out as they went along. The road was super bumpy. (laughs) The disciples got it wrong. Like when you look at the gospel message, the disciples got it wrong, I think, more than they got it right. So the road was bumpy. They messed up all the time. But in the end, the vast majority of them were absolutely pivotal in the start of the true Jesus movement after his death. Not because they had it figured out. Even at that point, they certainly didn't have it figure out figured out. But simply because they started moving. They started following. They started just moving toward their instinct, right? They had this instinct to follow Jesus, and they started taking steps in that direction. And they sacrificed a lot to do that as well. We live in a culture... And to be fair, most of history has also been this way. So we live in a culture within a history in which there are some leaders and there are a lot of followers. So there's a few leaders and a lot of followers. And this is not inherently good or bad. I'm not, I'm not here to debate about that. It's not my concern at all. I understand that you know, leadership looks one way and sometimes you need different people in different spaces. I get all that. But when it comes to changing the way the world operates, when it comes to changing the way our faith is incorporated in this world, and when we're thinking about overcoming the challenges that are in front of us or the challenges that are current realities in our world, we all in some way, shape, or form are going to need to lead. All of us are going to have to step up and do something. And, and again, sure, some are going to take on more leadership, like traditional leadership type of roles, but this is going to take some sort of movement, some sort of following of our instinct by every single one of us. If we fall back into that 80-20 rule that I just mentioned, then we should not expect anything to get any better because based on the state of our world where it's at right now, we're all going to have to do something and, and I know that most of you listening don't need me to convince you of that. You're just maybe wondering what it is, what, what your part of the puzzle is. And that's really common. I regularly hear people who are struggling with the question, not of if I should do something, but what can I possibly do to help? Sometimes it's because of this podcast, because we talk to a lot of people doing a lot of incredible things. And other times it's just because helping the voiceless and marginalized it's just it's just like a part of who i am and it's not because i'm a like some sort of great wonderful human being i was talking with my wife about this just the other night it's as far back as i can remember this is just a part of who i am i've just always had this desire to stand up for people who are struggling in our world And so because it's kind of this intrinsic part of who I am, it's also become a large part of my career. So sometimes people have seen what I do for my career or they see what I currently am doing for my career and they want to engage in a conversation about that because on some level, something about what I'm doing is inspiring them to ask the question for themselves of what they can do. So with such large, looming, systematic problems that are in our world right now, It's a fair question to ask, where do we possibly start? And sometimes just asking that question stunts us before we can even take a step forward. Well, here's how you start. You start by walking in a direction that you haven't been walking in before. What can you do that you haven't been doing before that will start getting you toward a space that you want to be? And let's get back to this story. You start by clearing out some brush and you start by cleaning out the barn. So our barn on our property, like I said, four acres have this little barn and uh, the barn was used to house some horses. (laughs) Surprise, right? But I built it. So my dad and I built this barn. We built this barn to house some horses. We moved out to this property and built the house that we currently live in because we believed that the dream was a hobby farm that's what we were going for we were going for horses we we're going for chickens we we're going for gardening we we're just going for the hobby farm livelihood but specifically for the horses that was kind of this thing that was not necessarily in my mind but definitely in my kids mind and even some in my wife's mind turns out that we are some of the worst hobby farmers in the entire world <laughs> we're just like we just everything we tried just failed like <laughs> nothing that we set our minds to work so we got these horses the horses eventually got sick two of them died we had a third horse then but my kids just didn't care and we couldn't train the horse we didn't know what we were doing and so the horse just ended up being a really expensive lawn ornament we we got chickens i think three different times. And let me tell you, when you live out in the country, there's a lot of things that like to eat your chickens. And as much as we tried to protect those poor little things, they just kept dying on us. And then gardening, I don't even want to get started. I don't, we don't even have a clue of where to start with gardening. We've had marginal success, but gardening takes just a boatload of work. And when it's getting back to the nice weather in the Midwest, like when it's nice out, I don't want to be working in a garden. I want to be on a bicycle or on a boat in a river or on my porch having a drink. And so gardening is not really my jam. So the hobby farm was a, just a huge failed experiment. However, my wife Susie is arguably, I don't have to argue. You can argue if you want. I'm not going to argue. I think she is the most epic host this world has ever seen. And anybody that's encountered her in that space would agree with me. So the horses are no longer on the property, but the barn still remains. And what better to do with a barn than to go after your dreams? And so a few years ago, When we were trying to figure out how to adjust to make some income when the pandemic hit because we lost almost all of our income in, I think it was in two weeks, we lost all of our contracts for an entire year. It was super exciting. <laughs> and so we had to figure out something to do. Well, we have this 1960s 1970, I think late 60s early 70s like retro camper that we own. We take it camping sometimes or we used to. And but we bought it when we were building our house just somewhere to stay warm, but it's really cool. <laughs> and my wife has has made it super cute of course cuz that's just what she does. And so a friend of ours, when, when they were in the midst of that conversation with us of saying like, oh, what are we going to do? They're saying, they said, hey, you know, people Airbnb out all sorts of things. Why don't you Airbnb out your camper? And we're like, that's the craziest idea ever. But the more we looked into it, we're like, hey, Susie, you're a really good host. We've got this camper on our property already. It's adorable. And so we fixed it up a little bit more. We put it on Airbnb and it was booked constantly and it's been booked constantly ever since that time we put it out there a couple of years ago. If we want a break we have to take it off of the site for a while and so what do you do with a barn? Well obviously you turn it into a rustic Airbnb so couples can enjoy some time away from the noise of the world Again, we already have a retro camper and people have been wildly blessed by it. So why wouldn't we repurpose the barn into, wait for it, stable studios, not my idea, Susie's idea. The original dream of the horses in the hobby farm, pretty short-lived, but it was a necessary part of where we are now. Airbnb number two wouldn't be a possibility if we didn't go for dream number one, even though dream number one failed. Now, let's get back to justice work, specific to justice work. My wife and I, we didn't start a community in our town for poor and hurting people because we had a great calling or a great idea or the perfect plan. What we did is we saw a need. We knew where that community was hanging out. We found somebody who had a space in that community and we asked them if we could use their garage and we started eating pizza around plastic tables in a disgusting old mechanics garage with bathrooms that were so disgusting that going outside to the bathroom seemed much wiser and much safer now eventually over a number of years that became a community that blessed hundreds upon hundreds of people that kept people warm in the winters. It housed people, it fed people It employed people. It gave people a sense of belonging, but it started by us saying, let's order some pizza and see if anybody wants to join us. And it was literally a group of eight or 10 of us around plastic tables, eating pizza. So, at that stage of life, are cleaning out the barn, so now we're cleaning out the barn to go after a dream of hosting more people and blessing more couples. At that point, we had this dream of creating community for people that were struggling, and it started by ordering pizza. I didn't end up a prison chaplain, which I did for a number of years. I didn't end up a prison chaplain because it seemed like the obvious career path. I'd never even considered it. I became a prison chaplain by first just simply quitting the job that I was doing that was sucking my soul dry, which was working for a church, interestingly enough. It was only after I quit that job that a friend of mine assumed I just might be looking for work and sent me the application, and it ended up absolutely changing my life from that point forward. That were Those were some of the most pivotal, important Moments of my life, especially from a career from a justice standpoint, I mean so many incredible experiences with the men there when an opportunity to speak for a national organization across the u s came up i didn 't really think I had a chance at it. I mean I knew I was pretty good at this but i didn't, i didn't know how good I was because i'd only used my speaking voice i mean at best regionally but I just simply saw the post, did the due diligence. I didn't know anybody in the organization, I had no connections to the organization, but I did the due diligence of recording the audition tape and sending it in. You know, what's the worst that could happen? Nothing. And then I'm in the same spot, right? So for me to get my foot in the door to, to move into that space that I'm now still in to this day, like I just had to do the diligence of believing in myself enough to send in the audition tape. So maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you just need to believe in yourself enough to, to do whatever that thing is to take that step forward. And, and when I did that, and when I got that opportunity, when I got that gig, I, I didn't think in a million years that it would create like this fertile ground that would build all these other dreams up in me that would open doors for an opportunity that I'm in now in a large scale, which is creating and working for an anti-human trafficking organization. So each one of those situations started so, I mean, started in such random ways and each one of those situations, like I didn't start, they always say start with the end in mind, right? I didn't have the end, the end in mind was so fuzzy. I wanted to, I wanted to help people, right? And that was, that was my end. I didn't, I didn't know how I was going to do it. I just knew that's what I wanted to do with my life. Everything leads to something else. But if we wait for the specifics, my friends will never get there. So what are some things that are currently tugging on your heart? That's a good place to start. What, and then, and then based on that, like, what is one way that you can clean your barn? Maybe maybe it's an email or a phone call or a direct message, right? Maybe there's that person that, that maybe you're thinking, I should just reach out to them, just, just see what happens by doing that. Maybe it's signing up for a volunteer opportunity that you've been thinking about that's been tugging at your heart a little bit. Maybe it's sitting down with that, that successful business person that you know just to, just to see what they think of your idea. See if they think there's any validity in it at all. Maybe it's sitting down and actually beginning to write that book that you know you're supposed to. (laughs) i i'm i'm releasing i've shared this on this podcast but i'm i'm i just got my first book published it's coming out fall of 2022 that book has been in my mind and heart for well over a decade and finally about a year and a half ago i sat my ass down and started writing it so maybe that's where you are maybe you've got this book that's going to change some things in your heart and in your mind and maybe you actually have to take the time to just sit down and start writing it. Or or maybe you just have to buy that microphone that you know that you need to start recording whatever music or start a podcast because you have that within you. Or maybe it's looking into schools that you should consider for going to get your master's or your doctorate or getting your GED or whatever it is. Or maybe it's as simple as reaching out to that friend who has become distant because of that hard thing that you both went through. I mean, this doesn't have to be crazy huge, right? What's what's just some small step that you can begin to follow that thing that's tugging at your heart, even if it seems so fuzzy that you even if you squint you can't see it. Remember the story of that rich young ruler? If you're familiar with the Bible, there's a story of this guy, he had a lot of money. And he comes to Jesus and he says, "Yeah, I'm, you know, basically the the gist of it is he says, I'm following all the commands, but what do I do? In his words, he said, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus basically says the same thing that he told his disciples. He says, well, get rid of all this stuff that doesn't matter and just follow me. And the rich young ruler, unfortunately, just had too many reasons not to follow Jesus. At least he thought so. So maybe for you today, maybe you're in a situation like the rich young ruler where You just need to get rid of some reasons not to do that thing that you actually really want to do. I just met a new friend who works for an organization called Ashoka. And if you haven't heard of it, please look it up. It's A-S-H-O-K-A. Please look it up because it's unbelievable. And their tagline, this is why I bring it up, their tagline is everyone is a change maker. Oh, I love that so much. I am not trying to do that thing That I'm sure you felt before in other situations. I'm not trying to do that thing where I guilt you into doing something you don't actually want to do. I have no interest in doing that because I know that will have no lasting value and won't mean much to this world. What I am trying to encourage is that you will clean out that barn that you have been wanting to clean out for so long. I just want you to do that thing that will make a difference in that one person's life that you know you want to make a difference in or with that group of people that you know you want to connect with or with your community because you know you have something that, that you can bring to that, whatever that thing is or maybe this to the entire world. There's so many people that I've talked to where they're quite literally changing our world and it just started with the smallest thing ever. Everything leads to something. So just start somewhere. And watch it all unfold. Everyone you've ever heard on this podcast, on the Chasing Goodness podcast, anybody that you've probably read about who you think they're the model of somebody doing incredible things in our world, I mean, everything just starts with a single movement. And I don't mean movement like a group of people, like a Jesus movement or anything like that, or a feminist movement. I mean a single movement, (laughs) a single action with a single act a single call a single text a single whatever like every big thing every meaningful thing just starts with something small so spring is coming snow is melting clear some brush clean out the barn everyone a change maker Thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast. It's always a joy to be with you. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Just look up Matt Kinzera. That last name is K-E-N-D-Z-I-E-R-A. You can also check out the website at mattkinzera.com. Of course, subscribe to this podcast, give it a five-star rating, and write a review. Until next time, let's keep chasing goodness together.